What's up? I'm Nick Lachey, and you're listening to Boys No More, presented by AAA Insurance. Visit AAA.com slash insurance to get a quote. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we have a lot to discuss, uh, starting with the fact that the Orioles now have the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball, according to Baseball America, as Grayson Rodriguez moves way up their rankings in a recent update. In addition, we're going to get into the continued development of Kyle Bradis and his success at AAA Norfolk and about whether that's putting him in a position to potentially make his major league debut later this year. And we're going to get into Johnny Riser, who just continues to hit well at Bowie and might now be forcing his way into the conversation among the top outfield prospects in the farm system. Uh, that's on tonight's episode. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So the big story for this week is that Grayson Rodriguez is now the top overall pitching prospect in minor league baseball, according to Baseball America. In the publication's most recent update, they put Rodriguez 11th overall, among all prospects in the minor leagues, and that was put was best for the best pitcher in the minors. Um, interesting blurb here is that the Orioles have the best overall catcher in the minors with Adley Rutschman, who placed number two on the list, and the best pitcher with Grayson Rodriguez, who comes in 11th. The backstory for Rodriguez this year has been his success at starting at Aberdeen and now at Double A Bowie, where he's two starts in and has pitched very well there. So I'm going to start with Nick on this. Um, we speculated a little bit about this last week, about whether or not Rodriguez was now in that conversation as top pitching prospect in all of baseball. But Baseball America now has proclaimed him just that. So what's your reaction? It's exciting, isn't it? Like, this is the most exciting thing, I think, for us as prospect guys and guys who follow this minor league system. 
And I think just for the fan base as a whole, this should be like really exciting news. Um, validation, finally, uh, hopefully, with this kind of pitching prospect. I mean, you have the top catching prospect, like you mentioned, all the baseball, soon to be, hopefully, the number one prospect in all the baseball. Grayson Rodriguez will probably move up that list even more by the end of the year, especially if he continues to dominate double A's he has already this year. But yeah, I did say last week that I think the big conversation over the next few weeks could be, is Grayson Rodriguez the top pitching prospect in all of baseball? And Baseball America said, there's no conversation. Uh, we're just going to go ahead and answer that question now and say, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any fears about Grayson Rodriguez, to be totally honest, other than, you know, the, the same fear I have about every pitcher, like that thing that knocks most guys out for like 12 months, I'm not going to say. But like, other than that, like his control isn't an issue. Uh his secondary offerings aren't an issue. They're great pitches. Uh, he's, I think he has a physical makeup to go super deep into games once the Orioles uh, take him off that leash, which I'm fine with, you know, the 65, 70 pitch limit right now for the next few, at least most of the season, at least. I'm fine with that right now. He's still very young. Uh, yeah, I just think that the negative and kind of doubtful attitude that Orioles fans have about pitching prospects, while warranted, I think you can kind of look at Grace Rodriguez now and, and start to feel a lot better about the system and, and where it's going. Yeah, you certainly can. And I think, like you said, he's going to keep moving up because there's at least three or four guys who will probably be off the list entirely because they have graduated. You have Wanda Franco, who I would imagine would be being brought up sooner or later for the race, and he'll be gone. And Adley Rushman will be the number one prospect overall, and we'll have the number one hitting and pitching prospect. You have Jared Kelnick, or Kelnick, who he just got sent down, but I would imagine he'll be back up before too long and then expire his eligibility to Brian Hayes for the pirates will definitely be no longer a prospect before too long. And then even Bobby Wood jr. Might, you know, Kansas city they're they don't mess around with their prospects. So he could be up too. So I think you'll have Rutschman at one and Grayson Rodriguez at seven or eight by the end of the year. And that's pretty crazy. And really everybody on our list has been performing well when they're on the field using the LDS what's going on with you. Where are you at? But, uh, no, it's exciting. Grayson Rodriguez, he looked great last night. He struck out the side in the first inning on 11 pitches. Uh, perfect 11 pitches when he's the 11th prospect in baseball. Pretty good. He didn't strike out as many down the line, but he, he pitched great. He pitched efficiently. And the one thing I've noticed is his command kind of dips a little bit in the fourth or fifth inning in the last few starts that I've seen him. But, I mean, that's just something he's going to work on this year and into next year is his command. And, other than that, the stuff is great. It's easy. Like we've we've talked about it a lot last week, and it just continues to be impressive every time we see him. Bobby Witt, sorry, Zach, but Bobby Witt Jr. needs to learn how to touch home plate before he can like actually be ranked ahead of Grayson Rodriguez. <laughs> just throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, with Rodriguez, it seemed like you would occasionally hear murmurs, um, especially leading up to this year, of like, oh, there's questions about his delivery. You don't even really seem to be hearing that anymore. Um, and, you know, I think that what Bob pointed out is something that's very valid and something we need to watch, especially if the Orioles do work him deeper in the games uh, over the course of the season is can he command his pitches, especially his off speed stuff as well over the fourth, fifth and sixth innings as he does over the first three innings. But if he can answer that question, the sky really is the limit for him and stay healthy, which is always a concern with pitching prospects. But I agree. There's really not any glaring flaws here. You look at it and think, oh, there's that one thing that makes you really concerned or, oh, the Orioles aren't doing this right with him. Because remember that when Rodriguez was first drafted, a lot of people did not like that pick. Yeah, what was yeah. it, 18th overall? 
I've got that right here. He was drafted 11th overall in oh, 2018. Was, maybe it was Hall that was 18th. Yeah, I think both of those high school pitchers in that first round, it was kind of like, what are the Orioles doing? But clearly, <laughs> Dan Duquette didn't leave the cover completely bare when he left. Yeah, I mean, you're always hesitant about a high school pitcher. And I wasn't big into the draft back then. And really, I mean, not even like as into the Orioles minor league system as I am now, cognizant of who was there and everything, but certainly not following it to the degree that, that the three of us are now. But Rodriguez was a guy, I mean, that's a high school kid out of Texas. And who in Baltimore area watches Texas high school baseball? I mean, like no one. So, I mean, we just didn't really know anything about him. And now this is a guy that I don't even think like on the national scale, Rodriguez was like a big name prospect. Uh, and so he's, he's taking the leaps and, you know, he's taking these jumps and he's become the most dominant starting pitching prospect in all of baseball now. And he's only still what, 21. He just turned 21. I don't even think he's 22 yet. So he's still a young guy with many, many years ahead of him. Like this, this is exciting. It's fun. He's on the same rotation as DL Hall. The three of it, uh, I don't know if Rodriguez will be up in AAA. I'm jumping the gun on our discussion there. But I mean, you're talking about a rotation, looking ahead at the Orioles rotation. It's safe to say like Kyle Bradish, Grace Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, those are three names that Orioles fans should be excited about joining that starting rotation in the very near future. Because I don't think Rodriguez stays in the minors for too much longer if he keeps pitching like this. Yeah, Rodriguez yeah. is young. He won't be 22 until November. Yeah. Yeah, he's a young kid, and he's he's such a big built guy. He looks older than he is. He just his stature and the way he presents himself, it's very mature for his age. And man, if he could just stay healthy, like you said, Zach. I mean, I think May of twenty twenty two, this time next year, it's going to be a whole different vibe in Birdland, especially on Orioles Twitter. My goodness. Yeah, it is starting to become easier to imagine that you know by May June twenty twenty two. You have Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, Adley Rutzman, and the guy we're going to talk about here in a little bit, Kyle Bradis, on that roster. And that's before you even get into the question of some of the players at Bowie who we know are definitely on the radar as prospects with guys like Taron Vavra, Kevin Smith. That just shows you how deep the system is, where you can talk about the top three guys, Rutzman, Rodriguez, Hall, being in the major leagues by this time next year and get excited about that. But then remember, there's also some pretty talented guys behind them that could be getting the majors around that time or at that time. Yeah. And one thing too, I know the big debate, I think I was traveling last Thursday and vacationing last weekend, but I think Thursday was the off day that the Orioles, Orioles were off. And, you know, I guess people were just bored. It's getting hot. Uh, you know, people are, tempers are starting to flare about this whole rebuild situation on social media. I guess that was a hot topic. I avoid that conversation. I don't want to dive into that conversation at all because I mean, the past is the past. We're here where we're at now. We're talking about Rodriguez, Bradish, these guys, Deal Hall, Rutschmidt up in the majors next year. I mean, we're not talking like, oh, it's a slight upgrade over, you know, I don't know who plays second base for the Baltimore Orioles anymore. We're not talking about it's like a slight upgrade over there. Like these are legitimate, the top prospects in all of baseball that the Orioles have. And it's, they didn't even come out of the gate struggling this year. They came out, all of them on fire, these top three guys, at least. Um, and, and that's extremely promising for me. For I mean, for, I know a lot of like more casual Orioles fans, they don't care about the you know 26 ranked prospect. They don't care that Anthony Servideo is a walk machine down in low A. I get that. You know, we're weird like that. But the, your top three prospects dominating as well as they have and being recognized across the country 
as dominant prospects. That's a, putting a whole new spin on this, I think. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. And like Zach said, there's so many guys. Double A Bowie is stacked, and there's even some guys at Triple A that should get a chance soon. But I think if if a player is in Double A at some point this year, and there are a lot of good, talented young guys there, there's a good chance they will be in the major leagues by next year. So, and there's plenty of guys coming up in Aberdeen and Delmarva right behind them to fill their spots on that top 100 list. Like I think Kyle Bradish, obviously at Triple A, and then Jordan Westberg. He's they'll be on the top 100 list before too long, I would think, sometime this year, unless Bradish makes it to the majors before that's even possible. But uh, yeah, it's exciting times. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think there's a potential to see more players in the system join that list. And I believe it was Baseball America that mentioned Westberg uh, back in the offseason as a player that either got a vote or was in consideration for their top 100 that missed the cut. So. You know, if you're looking at someone who could potentially join Baseball America's list here in the next couple of months, Westberg, with you know the start that he's gotten off to, even though it's been a little bit slower going at Aberdeen, uh, I'd have to think he's in that conversation. Yeah, he just tripled two for five with three or four RBIs last night, so he's getting he's getting warm. It's only his second week at the division at the level, so plenty of time for him to get his feet wet. And I think the guy that we're going to talk about next, Kyle Bradish, like that's a guy who of an outlet like Baseball America has been given a lot of hype to uh, these first few weeks of the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bradish is in, at least right now, in their conversations of when they did their revamp of their top 100 recently. I, I would put money on that they at least brought his name up and at least we're talking about him. Yeah, certainly. And that's the perfect time actually to segue over to Kyle Bradis, who is now three starts into his time at AAA Norfolk and was pretty good in his last outing back on June 6. Uh, going against the Durham Bulls, the affiliate of the Rays, he pitched five innings with four hits, no runs, walked four but struck out eight. Um, so that was another pretty good outing for him as in his previous start, he allowed one run over five innings and struck out five against just one walk. Uh, given that he's having success at AAA and that across Triple A and Double A now. Bradis has struck out forty-three batters in twenty-seven innings, which is an ERA of one. Um, he's off to a dominant start. We know the Orioles are struggling with pitching at the major league level, um, and you kind of now are starting the starting the question. And this is what we're going to get into with this discussion: Is Bradis now in that conversation of pitchers that we should see in Baltimore sooner rather than later? Uh, to this point, I think we focus more on Alexander Wells, Zach Lothar. We've been waiting for Michael Ballman to get healthy and back at AAA to put him in that discussion. But now I'm starting to wonder, is Bradis in that mix for you? And I'll start with Bob. 100%. I mean, I don't see how he doesn't pitch in Baltimore at this point now. Just the way he's pitching, the success he's having, and the way that the Orioles pitching in general has gone with Kramer back and forth with inconsistency uh, Keegan Aiken, he's been solid since he entered, but definitely not on firm ground. Same with Zimmerman. He's been pitching really good lately, but Matt Harvey's on his last legs. Jorge Lopez should be in the bullpen. Alexander Wells is struggling. Zach Lothar's up and down and struggling when he has pitched. To be fair to him, he hasn't really had a chance to gain any consistency. But And Michael Bauman's still in double-A rehabbing and getting knocked around a little bit. So <laughs> I never thought that – I thought I was high on Kyle Bradish coming into the season, but – I never would have thought that he'd be in AAA within a month and then knocking on the major league door 
by I don't know July August maybe after the trade deadline. I d- I th- definitely think he get he gets to the majors this year and he might even leapfrog all those other guys that got their chance first. When we re rank our top thirty, which I don't even want to think about yet, but <laughs> <laughs> when we do, yeah, I mean there's that big group of uh, Louther, uh, Wells, Zimmerman, Aiken, it was all that group there. I think Bradish is definitely jumped all of these guys um as far as is he going to be in the majors sooner i think it's a legitimate question orioles are probably asking themselves i think if you would have asked me before the season started i would have said no like not a chance um he only had one year of high a ball under his belt and then 2020 happened so there was no season and but he was promoted to triple a after just three starts in double a and i don't think that you can say for everybody like the alt site counts as a full year of development because it's different for everybody. And that's just created this whole new like web of questions uh, to ask about like development. But in Bradish's case, I think it's, it's promising. It's kind of eye-opening that I walked away from his first AAA start thinking that it was good. It was okay. He definitely belongs in AAA, but like he's going to get hit around a little bit and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's development. That's what happens. That's what you do. Uh, But then when you follow it up against that same Charlotte team, and only give up one run across five innings uh, that five days later. That's uh, that's a veteran team, an MLB veteran team, too. And then the five shutout innings against Durham, that's a really good team. I heard he struck out Juan Franco like five times that game. I can't confirm that, though. Uh, the box score has been deleted, so just take my word for it. Um, <laughs> you know, the walks were high, sure, but like he had eight strikeouts and didn't give up any runs. So I think we're close to seeing Kyle Bradish in the Major League rotation. I do like that trade deadline option. We know who's gone now. Um, we know John Means seems to be staying, apparently, with a couple articles today. But um, you now know who's going to leave, who you can just go ahead and DFA. Matt Harvey, you can just you know, take a bag of balls for him, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but trade who you can and DFA who you don't need anymore. Just go ahead and cut bait because you've got Kyle Bradish. I, I think he's ready. Yeah, and I watched that game against Durham, and he had four walks, but he was he was getting a little bit hosed by the ref. It was it seemed like he was right on the corners, even on his walk. So, I mean, the stuff just looks so good. I mean, I'm not a scout or anything, but that curveball is or slider or whatever his breaking ball is, is pretty nasty. And then combined with his arm angle and his fastball, I could see him getting out to the major league level soon. Yeah, Nick brought up a good point that I want to go back to, which is that he followed up kind of a so-so outing against Charlotte um, with a really good one against that same team uh, within a matter of days. And we talk all the time about young players needing to make adjustments. Um, and that tends to come up more in our discussions about players at the major league level. But it holds true at the minor league level. And for him to make adjustments and to pitch that much better against Charlotte after only a few days and against what is a veteran lineup. Um, you know, Charlotte's lineup, to me, looks like a last-place major league team when I look at it. And it's not so much like an insult to the players there, but it's just like this is kind of what you would expect on a major league roster for a team that's not contending this year, not a triple-A roster necessarily. Um, so Braddis was going up against those type of hitters who are more experienced and who probably have more of an advantage over a guy just starting out at triple-A, and he was able to make adjustments. Yeah, I was yeah. looking – I want to go back and look. It was Tim Beckham's on that roster. I remember that Jake Berger, uh, who you know he had like nine knee knee surgeries and seemed like out of baseball. Former top prospect. He was he's been playing really well because the tides and and Knights play each other so often. Gavin Sheets, that's the guy who's been in the majors. Brian Goodwin, he's been a major league outfielder for a long time. Um, 
Mikey Matuk, I, I think that's a name that I'm familiar with. I, I don't know how much major league time he saw, but former, you know, highly regarded prospect. That's not an easy lineup at all that he went up against. And to see him go up against, make a guy like Brian Goodwin, I know Brian Goodwin, he's in AAA for a reason, but, you know, that's still a guy who was a starter, I think, for an Angels team a lot last year, the last couple of years. So that, that's what I'm saying. I think give him a few more starts, and then you start to really sit down and think about, can we go ahead and, and make another jump with this guy? Yeah, and against that Durham lineup with Wanda Franco and Vidal Brujan, I think there were six players with the 900 or above OPS that he was facing off against, and he he shut them out over five innings and worked out of any time he got into trouble. So he's being tested, and if he continues to pass those tests, I mean, what else is there to lose? At this point, you know he's going to see time this year. They already basically made that decision when they moved him up to AAA, so it's not like you're playing service time, service time games. So get him up when you think he's ready. No need to mess around. Yeah, I agree completely. And I coming into this year, I thought Braddis was a guy that might be up there in 22, but that it might be more likely if he were moved to the bullpen, which some evaluators coming into this year believed was going to be necessary. Um, but so far, he's not only looking like a competent minor league starter, it's much easier to picture him as a starter at the major league level. Go back and just find any article that Matt Blood, Orioles director of player development, has been quoted in over the last six months. And if he mentioned the name, uh, go ahead and just circle it because he's batting 100%, 1,000% right now on all of these names uh, that he's mentioned earlier on. Uh, Joey Ortiz hit his what third home run last night uh, for mm-hmm. Bowie. Kyle Bradish is there. And, and I do think that Bradish, you know, when I look at all these guys, Bauman, like Bob mentioned, he was he's still warming up. This is kind of his still spring training, I think. And it was actually your three up, three down piece this week because I didn't get to watch his last start. But I remember start before last, I think he was home. So it's really hard to watch. Like if you really want to watch a pitcher, if Bowie's home, it's hard to get like a really good read on these pitchers because of the feed. But I remember Paul and Adam on the broadcast were saying like low 90s numbers when they were reading off some velocity numbers. And that scared me a lot because the outing before that, he was like 94, 95. Uh, but I know, Bob, you mentioned in your three up three out piece this week that he was hitting 97 again. So I said, like, that's great. That's awesome. Um, so hopefully he's not hurt. It's just spring training for him. So I don't see him. I'm not counting him right now. And Alex Wells is a guy who, you know, I wanted to go back and watch that outing against Durham, four shutout innings, no walks, five strikeouts. But I think MILB took it down because that was the game that ended with Tyler Zombro hit. So I imagine that's probably why they took that game offline, which is fair enough. Uh, but he was a guy who was getting slightly better with each outing, but was still looked not very good at all, in my opinion. Uh, and to throw four shutout innings with five strikeouts, I mean, that's hopefully he's turning a corner. But I still think he's going to need more time as well. So, like, which other what other prospects are you looking at saying they're going to make an impact at the major league level right now for the Orioles? Like, Bradish is at the top of that list. Yeah, they did say he touched 97. I don't know how consistently that was happening, but I did hear them mention that he was hitting above mid-90s at least a couple times, which is good. And I think it's a great point that this is basically spring training for him. Same with Wells, honestly. And it's good to see them getting their innings in and hopefully – playing into shape here. Wells is starting for Norfolk tonight. We'll see how he does. Yeah, with Wells, I think, I, you know, he was really good in, in his last outing. And as Nick mentioned, the video is not online, I think, for reasons that are justified, if that's the case. But, you know, you, you want to see him start working his way into games a little bit deeper. 
Um, and the one thing that's always made him successful is that command. So far, the walk numbers are decent. They're getting a little bit better. So I think that there is hope for him to turn that around and look more like the Alexander Wells that has just been a really good pitcher at every level of the minor leagues. But I do think he's going to need more time at AAA. Ballman is going to have to be a gradual process to build him back. And with Zach Lothar, because I do want to include him in this discussion, he just needs to be in one spot for a while. And not just in one spot, but in one role for a while. You know, if the goal is for him to be a multi-inning reliever, that helps kind of bridge the gap in the bullpen this year and you feel comfortable putting in high leverage situations, let him work in that role and maybe put him in AAA for a while. Or if the goal is to get him in the rotation later in the year, put him back at Norfolk and let him pitch there for the next few months, build up his innings, get used to more experienced hitters, and then bring him back. I think that the up and down has hurt Lothar. Certainly has to have. I mean, I feel like this taxi squad situation is almost worse for these guys than not having it. I know, obviously, it helps the major league team in an emergency, but how much, if not even get in their t- their reps in and their time in, <clears throat> excuse me, to develop. And I think Lothar really just needs to go out there every five days. Or like you said, if they want to use him as a reliever, use him as a reliever in Norfolk till they, you know, deem him ready. So that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't like Lothar being set up and down like he is at all. Um I mean, really, and the other name, too, he's not on the 40-man, but he's not a prospect anymore, but where's Spencer Watkins at? Like, where, where's our friend of the podcast? He threw six no-hit innings against Jacksonville on May 23rd and hasn't pitched yet. He's not on the injured list. Um, so I don't I don't know what the, the Orioles are doing with the, the Norfolk staff down there, but, yeah, I, honestly, I think the Orioles, depending on how this shakes up, you know, is Tanner Scott traded? Um, we they already dumped Sean Armstrong. Uh, I don't know if he got claimed anywhere else by now, or if he's still hanging at limbo. Yeah. So clearly, I think apparently teams are calling the Orioles. They're active. Uh, they're very interested in a lot of their pieces. Maybe if Tanner Scott, if teams still see that, maybe he's someone that gets traded. That was one of my bold predictions before the season started. Um, I think there are some other names that you could probably go ahead and DFA or maybe move for like international money or something to go ahead and get them off the, off the roster, put Zach Lothar in the bullpen. And I want to see what he does there, but I don't know. You think um, some team around the trade deadline is going to try to get a three-way trade going to get Jake Berger and Paul Fry, Berger and Fry. <laughs> <laughs> terrible. That's terrible. I, I'm for it. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh. It would make things interesting. And uh, so, yeah, and there is, that's a good point, though, is that we're going to, over the next few weeks, I think, really get a better sense of who is going to move at the deadline or who's likely to move at the deadline. Um, and then you can kind of start connecting the dots with Norfolk's roster and I think Bowie's roster, even to a certain extent, and figure out, okay, if you are going to move a Tanner Scott or a Paul Fry, maybe Zach Lothar is the op- your best option to take over that spot, but you should start grooming him for that now. If you if that's in their head of, okay, we think that Paul Fry is going to get us the, you know, a return that maybe comes close to what they got from Miguel Castro last year um, or anywhere close to that, and we're going to move him, we're going to trade him because we know that we're not winning this year, probably not winning next year, um, then they want to put Lothar in that role when Fry goes. They should start grooming Lothar for that now. Yeah, that's a good point. And speaking of Miguel Castro, I think Kevin Smith 
is another guy who could work his way up to AAA Norfolk in the next couple of weeks, and maybe he works his way into a shot on this rotation or at least pitching staff by the end of the year. And shoot, I was going to say something else. What was it? <laughs> Go ahead, take take my point and run with it, somebody. I, I love Kevin Smith a, a lot, actually. I think he is. He, there's so many of these soft tossing, quote unquote, lefties in the system. Your Zach Lothar, your Alex Wells. And each of them, you know, Zach Lothar has that, what they call it, like the, the Vexy or funky fastball, whatever fan, that Fangraphs article a couple of years ago deemed it, where he hides the ball really well. And it does, it has a lot of run, a lot of movement on his fastball. Alex Wells has just the A-plus command and, and control with his pitches. And Kevin Smith, though, I mean, from watching him at Bowie, I would put, I'd probably put Kevin Smith ahead of both of them. When I'm thinking about like my personal top 30 list when we re-rank, I'm probably going to put Kevin Smith ahead of both of them. 21 innings in double-A. He's got 29 strikeouts, uh, 10 walks, which is uh, okay, but he's only given up two runs. He has a .86 ERA right now, pitching for the best team at, in minor league baseball. So Kevin Smith, I mean, he's there. I, I think he's got to be in triple-A pretty soon as well. Yeah, I agree. And my point was going to be that I know Mike Elias is quoted as saying this year is not going to be the same as far as, you know, all the trades going on, but I don't believe him. There's too much potential trades on the line. And I feel like he's, he's got that, that good instinct that he's going to make a trade if it's, if it's the right move. And I think there will be plenty of them in the next month or two. He brought in Taryn Vavra and Tyler Nevin and an outfielder in the Dominican Summer League, uh, Deshaun, I think is his last name. Michael who, Deshaun. Yeah, yeah. who some outlets have like right outside the Orioles top 30. So, I mean, he got all that from Michael Givens, who uh, is probably going to be DFA'd. I don't know. Probably not because the Rockies are begging people off the street to p- pitch for them right now. But like, people and you got Kevin Smith. <laughs> retiring on them. <laughs> yeah. They had, yeah, like f- three or four minor leaguers retire after that series against Bowie. Like. No one wants to play for Colorado, uh, and they got two of the best prospects in that system. Riley Pint, a former first-round pick, was one of the guys who retired. Yep. Um, so, yeah, and you get a guy like Kevin Smith for uh, Miguel Castro. I know, I think I've seen where he is pitching well for the Mets right now. That's fine. Good for him. I always loved Miguel Castro. I was on the hype train until it you, you were completely fell off the tracks. <laughs> but if you can get a Kevin Smith-type guy for a Paul Fry – a thousand out of a thousand times you pull that trade because Paul Frank kind of came out of nowhere and who knows how long it's going to last. Absolutely. Yeah. I love watching Fry pitch and it, he's one of the few arm, arms that comes out of that bullpen where I'm like, okay, they, you know, the game's safe uh, right now, but I agree. You don't know how much longer it's going to last. And not to mention that I think if you're building a contender, you find a way to fill spots like that in the bullpen easily. Uh, whether it's coming out of your farm system or as we've actually seen Michael Elias do with some success so far as general manager of this team, get someone off the waiver wire. Yeah, that's a good point. But as far as relievers go, unless you're a Josh Hader, Mariano Rivera dominant closer, Zach Britton, circa 2016, you are completely expendable at all times to me. If you can bring me something back, you got to do it. Yeah, and there are at least guys right now, too, in AAA that can fill that void. Um, we talked about uh, uh, Manny Barreda and uh, you know, Marcos Diplon. They're still pitching pretty well in AAA Norfolk. You do have – I'm not a fan of his at all, but you do have Fernando Abad down there who's a veteran, uh, AAA and MLB veteran, so he can take the role. If we're talking about the trade deadline is, what, end of July, mid-July, so you need a month and a half of games – 
Eric Canhold is still down there in AAA, and he's been pitching pretty well. A little shaky last night, but he's throwing you know mid upper nineties with heavy sink, getting guys out, closing out games for Norfolk. Those are guys that you can easily fit your major league bullpen for a month in a season where you're going to lose a hundred games. So. Thomas Eshelman, go ahead, just bring him up, and let him eat some innings if you have to. Right. Dustin Might Dustin Knight is pitching pretty good. Got to do a backflip last week. Yeah, there, there's a lot of options between now and July 30th, which is when the trade deadline is this year. Uh, they moved it to get it off of a weekend, I believe. But trade deadline will be on July 30th, so a day earlier than usual. But uh, nonetheless, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch between now and then how the Orioles handle their major league roster, who stays and who goes, and who has, who gets affected by that at the minor league level. And I know that's something that, as the deadline approaches, we're going to discuss a lot more on this show. Um, moving on now to the next topic, which is Johnny Riser. Uh, if you've listened to our shows, especially over the last couple of weeks, you know that Riser has found his way onto our radar, uh, basically just by dominating with the bat at every level that he has played in. He played really well coming out of the draft in 2019, got off to a hot start in Aberdeen this year, and then got promoted to Bowie where he has continued to hit. In fact, he's gotten a hit in every game that he has played in in Bowie since arriving there on June 1st. And on uh, June 8th, which was Tuesday night, he went 4-5 for five in the Bay Sox win over the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. So he continues to hit well, playing in the outfield every day. Um, I'm starting to get the sense now that he has to be in that conversation for a top 30, where, as a top 30 prospect. At the beginning of this season, when I was putting my list together, his name popped in my head, and I thought it was a nice story after 2019. There's something there to follow, but he's not top 30 material yet. Now, though, with the year that he is having, he, he's got to be in that conversation for me, and I'm curious to hear what you guys have to think. I mean, he's in the conversation for sure. It's a tough question because he's so hot, and everybody's kind of following falling in love with him right now, uh, which is fair because he's making that arguably the toughest jump from high A to double A and he just hit the ground running. Uh, but I mean, we're going to have a big shakeup in our top 30, a lot of graduations. I think maybe our opinions on some guys in the back of that list have probably soured a little bit. Uh, so, but there's also a big group of guys in the GCL and Dominican summer league rosters that we haven't seen yet. So who knows how, how those guys have progressed and developed over the years. I'm thinking back to my mind started going back to like those previous Matt Blood articles. So I'm thinking like Steven Acevedo, Luis Gonzalez, mm-hmm. these types of guys. What have they been doing? What are they going to look like when they start playing? So I would probably say that personally, I don't, I would probably not going to rank riser in my top 30 right now. We also have the draft coming up as well. Um, but that doesn't mean he's not a good player. Uh, who can eventually make an impact at the major league level. I think that just shows how deep this farm system is. Like he's hitting 485 right now with a 233 WRC plus, but very small sample size. That's just his double A numbers. Uh, but he does have a 652 BABIP. I just looked that up uh, before we came on, which is, I think league average is what, like 300, 330 or something. So, and he hasn't walked yet. He has a 0% walk rate and a 28% strikeout rate. So He's playing well, but I think there are some things that he's going to stabilize, but he deserves to be in Bowie right now, and I don't see why he can't be a fourth or fifth outfielder. And cold streaks happen, injuries happen, baseball's a long season. I know it's not exciting for a lot of people to sit back and talk about a guy like this, a fourth or fifth outfielder in the organization, but these guys are valuable, and this is a guy you groomed yourself. So I think he's he's got a role, but, again, that's just how deep this farm system is. 
Yeah, right now I think double A batter or pitchers are just challenging him and he is meeting their challenge and just smashing the ball whenever they throw him strikes. They're throwing him a lot of strikes. So he's striking out and he's not walking. I think like you said, he will stabilize as things move on. And why do I feel like five or six years ago he would be like a top fifteen prospect for the Orioles? Right now, I just recently redid my top one hundred prospects list, which I'm gonna obviously be constantly constantly readjusting over the next month or so. But I won't give away the number I have him at, but he is below Kyle Stowers still, but above Zach Watson. He's like right in between those two. But if he just keeps us up, if he keeps doing what he's doing, not, there's going to be no no choice but to keep moving him up the ranks. And I think it might even become more clear once the GCL and the DSL start and and we get to see more of these guys that we haven't got to see yet. Like you said, uh, Elio Prados of the world and Luis Gonzalez's and Luis Ortiz. So many guys, Kobe Mayo. So it'll be interesting to follow. But his name, he's definitely <laughs> risen, so to speak. One thing that I wonder with the walks is that that is true. He has not walked yet at double A, but he left Aberdeen with a seven and a half percent walk rate, which you know is not really high, but it's decent. Uh, the year before that, he was generally around five and a half, six percent at the two levels that he played in Aberdeen and Delmarva, or sorry, 2019, I should say. Um, so I do feel like that is going to come up a little bit. He's obviously not going to continue to hit in the high 400s. Um, He's not going to have a WRC plus in the 230s. But I do wonder if those other numbers start to come down, which they will, will the walk rate come up a little bit? Um, and at that point, I start to think you see a well-rounded offensive game if he's able to do that. But that, that is a good point is can he start drawing more walks when we know that those numbers that he has right now are going to come down a little bit or come down quite a bit more likely? I just think he's a good, solid all-around player, kind of like we mentioned, I mentioned last week, talking about Zach Jarrett and mentioning Willie Yon. I think he's that kind of player, maybe even a tick better. But, I mean, this is just – he doesn't really maybe have, like, that standout tool that you're like, man, that power is amazing. But, you know, he's going to hit 220 or whatever. His speed is elite speed, which, I mean, everything's just average, which is fine. And he's going about and he's doing his job. And he's, he's a lunch pail guy, and I like that. I like that kind of guy. You need these guys in your system. And I think with him hitting as well in Bowie, there's a there's a bigger point that I think I'll probably make when we talk about with another player later on. But I, that's having an effect on Johnny Riser as well. But I, I mean, this, this guy has kind of come out of kind of nowhere and is hitting as well as he is at the Double A level. You never know. This could be a guy that what if something tragic, not tragic like that kind of tragic, but <laughs> <laughs> trades, a lot of trades, maybe some injuries, bumps and bruises. We're entering the last couple of weeks of the year, and just guys are just just out of it. Their bodies can't take it anymore. Um, and you need an outfielder. Is Johnny Reiser a type of guy that you say, all right, you get two weeks up in the major leagues this year. See what you got. I feel like he's almost like a Jeff Fiorentino type player, but a little bit more muscle to him, obviously. And, uh, yeah, it's like he's good at everything, not great at anything, while Stowers is the tooled-up guy who, if he puts it all together, could be an everyday corner outfielder. And Zach Watson's like, maybe an average hitter at best, but he can play center field pretty good. Johnny Reiser is just a guy that he can play all three outfield positions. He can hit for a little bit of power and a little bit of average, and he can walk a tiny bit, maybe not in double A so far, but it's just, it's interesting the three of them, how different they are 
and how Riser is the one who stepped up to the plate and met the challenge the most so far. Yeah, I mean, he really has hit well this year, and I'm curious to see as the year goes on, um, you know, first off, does the power that we see uh, continue? I don't know that he's going to hit for much home run power at Bowie because I feel like a lot of prospects don't hit for home run power at Bowie other than, like, Adley Rutzman. Um, but then, you know, do we see his speed a little bit more? Because that was one tool that people would kind of fall back on a lot of post-draft reports, which is, Roger doesn't have any standout tools, although his speed is good. Um, his stolen base numbers don't reflect that at all. But you have to think that that's part of the reason why they feel comfortable rolling him out at all three outfield spots, including center field, where he probably should have gotten should get a little bit more time this year. I think you mentioned Zach Watson and Kyle Stowers in comparing him to Johnny Reiser. I do think like. Like you mentioned, Stowers does have that potential of maybe like an everyday left fielder in the major league level. But at the same time, as much as I love Kyle Stowers, he has good power. But like there, there's an option where he kind of flames out in high A. Like this is where he's at now in Aberdeen. That's as high as he goes because he can't consistently hit. I hope that's not the case, but there's a lot of swing in that miss game, a lot of swing and miss in his game. So a lot of variables there with, with Kyle Stowers and Zach Watson. I was trying to think like, if no one, if people listening haven't watched Zach Watson, you know, maybe like a comp and I hate doing these because I'm terrible at them and I don't, I don't get them. Everybody's different, but like a, a Ryan McKenna without the power, maybe like their speed. He's certainly fast. Kind of hit the gaps. Not a whole lot of power though. Um, he's again, wide range of variables. I think could also flame out in high A who knows probably not everyday major league outfielder for sure. But um while, meanwhile, Johnny Reiser's kind of chugging along, going 60 on the highway, just doing his thing and while everybody else has got this wide range of outcomes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Riser just passes on by, just doing his thing, head down. A classic tortoise in the hair tail. Uh, he's playing center field tonight, by the way, so that's good to see. Yeah, with, with Watson, it's interesting because I, I've watched him a little bit, and for some reason in my mind, I always go back to Andrew Stevenson. Maybe it's because I saw Stevenson a lot when he was coming up in the national system. Maybe it's because they went to the same college, LSU. But there is something about Zach Watson that reminds me of Andrew Stevenson. Stevenson has really not hit consistently enough to get an everyday spot with the nationals, but the speed and the defense keep him around. And sometimes I wonder with Watson if that's the ceiling. What would Ben McDonald say about Zach Watson? That's the real story. Future superstar. <laughs> trade Cedric Mullins. Make room for Watson. <laughs> so we're now going to move on to our new weekly segment, which is where we highlight players who are outside of our top 30 when we did it back in January. Uh, and we're going to get into some recent trend, whether it's a good game they had their last week, talk about what we like, why we think this player is worth watching uh, going forward. And for this week, I'm going to start us off with T.T. Bowens, who is a fairly new addition to the Dunwarver Swordbirds lineup and a first baseman with a lot of big-time power. First off, I think T.T. Bowens is a great baseball name. So I just kind of wanted to say it a couple of times tonight um, so I could fit him in there. But aside from that, if you saw some video clips of Delmarva's most recent series at Fredericksburg, you saw Bowens connect on a couple of really long home runs. Uh, he's cooled down a little bit in his last two games, but off to a hot start, has two home runs already, and he's only been in Delmarva a little over a week. A big guy listed at 6'4", 235 pounds. And I think one of the things that's interesting about Bowens is that 
He was one of the players who was an undrafted free agent last year uh, coming out of Central Connecticut State. And one of the things that has been fun in 2021 has been able to watch players who were undrafted free agents last year because the draft was only five rounds. Watch them you know, ease their way into the full season minor league baseball and see what they can do. Um, a guy like Bowens, you know, he's off to a good start with what he's doing at Delmarva. Uh, the power is definitely there. He can connect on some long home runs. We'll see how the other numbers, the batting average, the strikeouts progress as the season goes on. But I think if nothing else, Shorebirds fans are have a lot of fun watching this guy connect on home runs this season. Yeah, he's got some serious power. Just turned 23 years old. I just wonder, is there enough hit tool there? I guess we're going to find out, but he's impressive with the with the power that he can bring into a game. Yeah, he climbs in the batter's box. He looks like he belongs there. I mean, I can't say I've watched a lot of Central Connecticut State baseball. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I've had to watch a lot of their college football because my alma mater schedules them as like a cupcake team every year, it seems like. But can't say I watched the baseball. Uh, but when I, I remember researching him after the Orioles picked him up after the draft, and it was just the power, power home runs. Uh, summer ball, I think he was like a, a the all-star game, like home run uh, derby champion there. There's some clips of that. Big kid. I put together like a little compilation clip of some of his hits he's gotten so far this year. And He's opposite field home run, up the middle shots. Uh, he's got really quick hands. He's able to pull those hands in and drop one in the left field, a little like Ryan Mountcastle-esque with the hands there, not comparing them like at all as prospects, completely different types of prospects. Uh, but he's been impressive early on, and I agree that I don't know how far he's going to go, but for right now he's a lot of fun to watch down there in Delmarva. And his, you got to go with TT over Terry. Bowens. I mean, it's it's a cool name. Hopefully, he sticks around just for that. Yeah, uh, I can go with. Um, I'm going to go with Kane Grenier, and uh, I think if anyone, I think I pronounced it right. I think I saw some conversation about how you pronounce his last name, and now I'm worried. Uh, but if anyone tells you like they saw Grenier's season coming, what he's done so far coming, like they're lying because no one did. I think most people had kind of written him off, like. He was a 37th overall pick in 2018. The glove was never a question, but also the, the strikeout rate of like north of 30% entering this year. He hit 208 in Frederick in 2019. And there are about eight or nine other shortstops in the system that I think all three of us would take over him. But right now he's hitting 293 with an 839 OPS in 25 games in Bowie. We're already a quarter of the way through the season. Uh, just in June, he's hitting 429 with three three-hit games. It's only June 9th, and they're playing right now, so that game doesn't count, and they had an off day. So that's like six days. Half of his game has been three-hit games. So strikeouts are still high, but um, good job for him. And, and I think my bigger point, I think that was what I talked about earlier with uh, Riser, uh, just this Bowie team in general here. Like You have Adley Rutschman and D.L. Hall and now Grayson Rodriguez in this locker room. These are competitors. These are elite prospects. Uh, you saw that uh, Steve Molesky article about Ofelki Peralta the other day and ha- his resurgence, which is great to see. And you saw a lot of quotes from Justin Ramsey, the pitching coach in Bowie, who said Peralta basically said, mold me, like take me and mold me to your perfect creation. And he's all these players are trusting Bowie's staff and this player development staff. And you're seeing it's working. Like n- how many people had Cameron Bishop pitching this well, or he even knew who Cameron Bishop was. Grenier, there's so many guys, probably at least five guys on this Bowie roster that we probably completely wrote off. 
And now all those guys are performing and there's this whole new culture. Like I mentioned last week in Bowie taking shape and they're going to take that culture with them in Norfolk and they're going to take that with them in Baltimore. And maybe I'm blowing that weight out of the water and it's making it a bigger deal than it is. But when I watch Bowie, like that's a special team. And this went way bigger than just King Grenier having a hot two weeks. But I think that plays a big role in it. Everybody's feeding off of that. I completely agree. I think that's a great point. And, uh, Hayden Grenier, I <laughs> the first couple of weeks into the season, I pronounced him dead on my uh, three up, three down on the down on the farm profile. And since then, he's been like the Undertaker, just rising from his grave and and just killing the ball. I mean, he's got a BABIP over four hundred, so I don't think it's going to be quite as hot as he has been. But almost a ten percent walk rate. He's striking out at almost thirty percent of the time, but I feel like it's been a little bit better. And during his hot streak, obviously, I almost feel like we've been talking about Mason McCoy as being that guy who could, you know, get some playing time as a second baseman or utility guy. And I feel like Kane Grenier might be coming for his throne as far as that, you know, that position is concerned. But I'm happy for him. You know, I I'm never been more happy to be wrong. And I hope he keeps it up. Yeah, Grenier was a guy that I think had dropped off my radar uh, a bit this season, and he, that was even though I've always really liked his defense. And I know I think it was when Eric Longenhagen was on here, he pointed out that when Grenier was in college, his defense was so good that Oregon State moved Nick Madrigal off shortstop. Um, so you know the glove has always been good. There were always questions about the bat, and everything leading up to this season led me to believe that those questions with the bat were legitimate and that with the shortstop depth improving the Orioles farm system, Grenier was going to get lost in the shuffle and was going to have to get his way to the major leagues on defense if he was going to get there at all. Now he's hitting better, and the one thing with the strikeouts is they are still higher than I would like to see for a player like him who is not going to give you a lot of home run power, but they are still down from where they were at Frederick in 2019. When they rose to almost 34%, now it's down below, you know, just below 30, which is still too high, I think, but it's at least a step in the right direction. Um, one stat that I just pulled up here about Grenier, uh, through May 26, he was hitting 151 with a 428 OPS. So that tells you how hot he's gotten just since the end of May. Uh, I don't know that he keeps this up all year, but he's at least now looking like he belongs to the level with the bat and you can start to get a little bit more hopeful about what he'll do at the higher levels of the minor leagues and maybe work his way into that conversation as a glove first utility option at the major league level. Yeah. It's really all you could ask for at this point, but I guess I'll go into my pick, which is Toby Welk. You know, that, that underdog story from 2019 still in Aberdeen, but two levels higher and he's performing again. He's hitting 311 with a 423 on base percentage. So the hit tools there. He's got a 15% walk rate. He's striking out less than 20% of the time. The power hasn't come yet, but I feel like he has it in him. I think he can hit for a little bit more power than he's shown so far. And uh, I just really like the dedication that he's shown and just he another grinder who puts in the work. He has seven errors, so I don't know if he can stick at third base long term, maybe more of a first base guy, but... So uh, I like seeing him continue to uh, put in the work and be a leader on that Aberdeen team. 
Yeah, I mean, this he was a D3 guy that the Orioles drafted. And to see him kind of – he took the ball and just rolled with it as soon as he became a professional with the Orioles back in 2019. And I would think that Welk was a guy who I don't think you saw really on like any top 30 list going into the season. And then him being this you know D3 guy who probably has this tougher hill to climb already. And I imagine him – he was already like 22, 23 then probably. I'd imagine – a guy like Welk missing out on 2020 was probably huge, probably bigger than in some other guys' situations. So now I look at it now, he's 24 years old, uh, but with no experience, uh, he hadn't reached high A yet and he was 24 years old already. So you wonder how far behind is he going to be? And yeah, you mentioned the power hasn't been there, but I mean, he's walking a ton. He's getting on base. He's hitting for a super high average. So, I mean, I think for right now, he, he's doing what he can down there at AAA. I, I don't know where he's going to play that for sure. Third base seem, does seem kind of iffy, and you have to imagine if Gunnar Henderson comes up soon, uh, where does Toby Wilk move? Maybe first base, maybe DH, I don't know. But, yeah, for right now, I mean, Toby Wilk, that's a fun story to keep following for sure. Yeah, yeah Aberdeen Stadium, I feel like it is a pitcher's park, mm-hmm. so take it with a grain of salt, the power numbers there. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's a great story. Um, you know, Welk, it, it, to me, just looks like a really advanced hitter. I know the power isn't there yet, and I know that, you know, normally we would be throwing the old for the level label out, which I've said repeatedly on this show that I'm hesitant to use this year. Um, but, you know, I, I think Nick Mitt brought up a good point, which is that a guy like Toby Welk maybe stood the most to lose from not having a season last year. But so far, performance-wise for him, not showing any ill effects from it. Uh, his plate approach is really sound. He draws a lot of walks. I do have questions about the defense, and it is kind of hard to profile. What does a corner infielder who's mainly should be sticking to first base draws a lot of walks but doesn't hit for power? That's a hard profile to find a comp for at the major league level, but you know what? Don't worry about that right now. Just enjoy what he does at high A. Um, if he continues to hit this well and draw walks like this, we might see him in Bowie before the year is over, see how far he can go with this. But for now, it's a great story. Absolutely. And uh, I think uh, Kevin Smith is now over kind of a live update thing here. We're doing uh, Kevin Smith is over 20 straight scoreless innings. Bowie's up one, nothing in the fourth inning. So uh, Kevin Smith might be making one of his final appearances in, in a Bowie. Yeah. I don't think he should pitch for them again this year. I think this should be about it. Well, you never know. That might be the tease for our first topic next week, depending on how things play out, because it seems like lately uh, we take a few days off and all of these things happen. One thing I do want to mention before we get off the air is that going forward, we're going to start recording on Mondays more often uh, because of the minor league schedule this year with teams having off that day. It gives us a chance to give you numbers that are going to be relevant for a little bit more longer. Um, and who knows, maybe it opens up some opportunities for guests uh, as we get later into the year. So there might be weeks where we still record on Wednesdays, but look for new shows coming on Mondays uh, on some occasions going forward. So that's something to continue to follow us on social media and for, including uh, at BSL on the Verge on Twitter. In addition, continue to check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest articles. Check out the message board. Be sure to join in discussion. Uh, along with our work here, Bob, Nick, and I do write stories for the site and do post to the message board. So you have a chance to interact with us there. So um, thank you for listening this week. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, and this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.